hand if you have eclipse glasses. Come on, don't be shy. Come on, raise them high. Raise them high. Do you have solar eclipse glasses? Okay, I see some hands raised. It is the rage right now, is it not? Okay, you can put them down. <clears throat> solar eclipse glasses. Forewarning, if you're planning to look at the eclipse, you definitely need some. I was skeptical. <laughs> I, 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 won't say, I won't lie and say there's not a measure of skepticism. Here's the problem. I'm reading too many stories of people uh, 60 years ago who looked at an eclipse and are basically half blind. Do not look at the eclipse. Unless you have eclipse glasses, your pastor is encouraging you to do that. Here's what I want to throw out there to you. We love an experience, don't we? I mean, never before have I seen, now I'm 37, I haven't seen necessarily a ton. But everything that happens in our society and in our culture is this huge experience, is it not? Sometimes ad nauseum. I mean, you would have thought that the world had been evaporated or, or just that there's no one that even survived the last eclipse, given the amount of hype and hoopla. What did people do 100 years ago? Clearly, they must have just burned up from the fire of the sun the last time there was an eclipse. No, that didn't happen. But here in 2017, it's an experience, and we are willing to pay for that experience because we don't want to miss anything. We want to take it in, and we want to see it all. Do we not? I do. Think about all the things that we spend money on to help us see better. Many of us, football season is around the corner, and you'd think Black Friday was the hottest time for television sales. It's not. You know when it is? The week before the NFL kicks off. Fact. People don't want to miss anything. They'll pay more money for what a larger television, for more vivid color, to be able to see the action in a way that looks more real. I'm already beginning to have this conversation in my own home. You know what? I think we could probably fit a bigger TV right there. I'm pretty sure we could do it. We spend money on contacts. We spend money on glasses. We spend money, a tremendous amount of money, and you don't think about it, on visual experiences. Because we don't want to miss anything. Am I right? You guys with me this morning? We're starting a brand new series called Living Color. And there are some videos that have been going around, and you might have seen one, and we're going to watch one in just a second. It's literally just nine, about 90 seconds. And if you've never seen someone who is colorblind see color for the first time, it's an amazing moment to witness this thing, sometimes that they've longed to see but have never been able to. And they would have given their right or left arm to be able to see or experience what other people are experiencing. And someone that's true colorblind, and this isn't to insult whoever or how or what you might see or don't see here in this room, but we've got some videos of people that literally have not seen color. 
And all of a sudden, it helps you understand the significance of some of the little things that God has given us, the ability to truly see. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to set this up for you. There's a 60-year-old grandfather, and it's his birthday. And he's getting these special glasses that, that have come out recently in the past several years. They were, they were made on accident. The discovery of what they do was not on purpose. It was an accident, and they correct colorblindness. And so all of a sudden, children are buying them for, for their moms and dads or grandparents. And people who've never seen color are seeing color for the very first time. Roll that video. Break it. Sweet picture, isn't it? I'm not crying. You're crying. I want to encourage you. It doesn't necessarily have... It's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Sometimes we miss it. But you literally just Google, YouTube it. People seeing color for the first time, and nearly all of them have to do with these glasses, and you will see some of the most beautiful pictures of people overcome with emotion at the ability to see color for the first time. 11-year-old boys. And, and most of it, by the way, is, is for some reason is, is Caucasian men. And they're gripped by this overwhelming experience at being able to see color for the first time. Think about it. It's overwhelming, isn't it, to have your vision all of a sudden, suddenly corrected in a way, and you're able to see what God had intended or designed for you to be able to see. It's overwhelming. 
People are brought and overcome by emotion because they finally can see. And several of the videos, when you watch them, you see people saying things like, this is purple because they've never actually seen purple. This is what blue looks like, and they had imagined what it looks like in their mind, but they'd never actually seen it. Homework. YouTube. People seeing color for the first time. It really is such a beautiful picture. Here's what I want us to do this morning. We're starting a brand new series called, surprise, Living Color. And the whole idea behind it is that Jesus has more for us than a black and white experience. Relationship with God isn't something to be lived in black and white. It's to be lived in full color. And to help us illustrate this, turn to the book of John. It's the fourth uh, book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can follow on the screens behind me, or you can turn there in your phone, or if you have one of those antiquated paper Bibles, you can turn there too. It's actually my favorite. There's a man by the name of Nicodemus, and he goes to talk to Jesus in the cover of night. He's got some questions for the Messiah, questions for the Savior. He's confused. He's not seeing properly. He's not seeing in full color. The life that he's living is still black and white, and he knows there's more to be seen. He's, he knows there's more to experience. There's more truth to be known, but he's just not quite getting it. And so in John chapter 3, verse 1, we pick up with a story of Nicodemus. It says, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. you got to love Nicodemus. Because he asked literally the question that all of us would be thinking and maybe wouldn't have the courage to ask Jesus. How on earth are we supposed to do that? How can I be born again if I'm old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh give birth, gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. 
You see, Nicodemus, to paraphrase again, he, is, he sees something. He suspects. He's curious. He knows there's more to be seen, but he's still seeing something. He's seeing in black and white, but there's, there's more. There's a color, a vivid, a life that he's not fully experiencing yet in Christ Jesus. And so, under the cover of night... He's afraid. Doesn't want to be seen. I'm going to get together with this guy. And I'm going to pepper him with some questions. And hopefully get to the truth of this matter. Because I really want to see. I love this story. And I love this picture of of Nicodemus, and he asked the question that, that many of us still need answered. How can I be born again? And for many of us, we still don't quite grasp what it means to be born again. It wasn't a term that I was even that familiar with growing up in the church. We didn't use it a whole, whole lot. I was literally at the pool yesterday with my kids, and Lo and behold, conversation starts with some other families, and, and it begins to go this direction. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't come here to do this, Lord. I'm here to relax. But you know what? The door, it's just opening, and the questions start. And it's literally a Nicodemus moment. I'm sitting in the pool. <laughs> well, what does this mean? What is that? So you're saying church is like this? You're saying that, that you can have a relationship with Jesus like that? Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Hold on, I've got to go drop a cannonball on the other side of the pool real quick. Just because we grow up in or move to the Bible belt does not inherently mean that we understand what Jesus is saying and Jesus is teaching when he says that you and I, it's not about whether or not you just have great church attendance. You need to be born again. You need to have a rebirthing of something, but it's not on the outside. It's not about your flesh being born again or somehow having a conversation with your mom and your mom having a birthing experience with you all over again, which she would not be a fan of. No, there's a birthing that needs to happen, a born-again experience that happens only on the inside. You guys with me this morning? Where you become not just a, a better version of yourself, you become someone new. And that's why the scriptures talk about you and I having a born-again experience. And it says that the old is gone and the new has come. Because you're not just an old bike that gets a new set of tires. You are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the writer Paul says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. 
I'm going to bring this plane down for us here in just a second. I'm hoping that you're connecting all the dots because salvation is the same terminology that we use for born again, to be changed, to be made new, to be transformed. But Paul says it well. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus already did. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus already did. And yet there's this big giant word called faith. And I know Bible Belt. I know here in Atlanta, Nashville. We start talking about things like being born again. And we could just drift, right? And I want you to hear what's happening in our souls and in our hearts is that sometimes you can begin to drift and those colors, the life that Jesus has given you, all of a sudden those tones start looking muted again. And the color starts losing its vibrancy and the life that only Jesus gives, it loses the wonder, loses the significance and the power Rebirth begins when you put your faith in what Jesus did for you through the cross. I want you to hear this, whether this is in a worship song or whether or not you're praying it or whether you're in the dang pool in your neighborhood. You can have a born-again moment with Jesus the second, the moment you say, it's not about me, Jesus, it's about you. Your salvation that you purchased for me, I am here and I am putting my trust in you. That's what it means. And this amazing thing begins to happen. It sounds crazy that Jesus and, and God that would confound the wisdom of the world, that something as simple as putting your faith in Jesus Christ, it would be like putting on a pair of enchroma glasses. And where you're seeing black and white, all of the sudden, you begin to see full, vivid color. And that's why these videos, I love watching them because the reaction is, is so, it's so tangible. Hand over the mouth. Tears streaming down the, their eyes. Unable to talk because they didn't know it could be like this. They didn't know what they were missing. They suspected and they had an idea, but the minute they actually see it, it's better than they ever thought it was going to be. And that's what life with Jesus is like. I can sit here and we can bring up stories and testimonies, which we're going to begin to do, of people who've put their faith in Jesus and whose lives have been forever changed. They've gone from seeing black and white to full color. But I want you to hear, I can only and they can only share and tell and explain so much. Because there is always a moment for you and I where we have to put our faith out there. And you have to choose to risk it all and believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross.
that's what it means to be born again. Because the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and begins to help you see. Let me help explain this a little bit better. All of my kids, my, my son, we celebrated my two-year-old back at his birthday yesterday with some family that came in town. Now, all of my kids have loved a book, and I don't think we've gotten there yet with Beckett, but if anybody knows, if you're a parent, there's a children's book that, that many kids like by Eric Carle, right? It's the big hardback book. It's called The Hungry Caterpillar. Anybody familiar with that book? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They've even made it into like a little Netflix show, I'm pretty sure. Regardless. So in The Hungry Caterpillar, you, you, you have this caterpillar. And he actually reminds me of Nicodemus. You know, here he is, he's hungry. And what does he do? As you flip the pages of the book, he just begins to eat. And he eats because he's hungry. And because he's hungry, he eats. And so he's eating everything from candy to apples to pie to everything you can think of, sandwiches, pickles. He's eating it all. And the reason he's consuming it, the reason uh, he's doing so is because he's hungry. Nicodemus was hungry, was he not? But it wasn't a natural hunger. It was a spiritual hunger. He wanted something more. And we see Jesus responding when you knock on the door, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock. The kingdom, Jesus says, is near. So the caterpillar goes into his little cocoon. After eating for a week, big fat caterpillar. And what, as you very well know, happens when the cocoon emerges? He's no longer a caterpillar. He's transformed into a beautiful, beautiful butterfly. And once again, we see this picture of transformation. And yet what's so easy for us to do is to settle into a version of Christianity and living for God and living for Jesus that looks like you attending something and being completely unchanged on the inside. And I want you to hear me with love and grace this morning. If that is the extent of your relationship with God, you're still seeing in black and white. You need to do some consuming. Go into that cocoon and come out transformed. You need to get hungry for God to do something in your life. And I promise you, like the great hungry caterpillar, if you will be hungry, Jesus will fill and satisfy. So what happened to Nicodemus? It's a great question, isn't it? Here's this guy asking great questions. He's bothered. He's frustrated. He's afraid, asking Jesus in the middle of the night. 
And Jesus goes on from here. And we have this moment. We don't hear about Nicodemus anymore, except for one other moment in Scripture. Jesus has been preaching. Jesus has been healing the sick. Jesus has been, has been raising the dead and blind eyes open and sick people healed and people who are possessed set free. He's being Jesus. Talking and sharing about the good news and repentance and following God and turning to Him. Yet the religious rulers and leaders of the day, they don't like it. And so Jesus, the perfect Son of God, both fully man and fully God, dies for the sins of the world. He's hung on a cross where he breathes his very last breath. And the soldiers and those who are in authority, they confirm that Jesus is dead. And we don't know what it actually looked like. I don't actually know. But somehow the, the cross is lowered or the body is taken off of the cross. And then there are always people that you need in that moment. Oftentimes it's a relative, a mother or a brother who's there to collect the dead and bury them in a family tomb. Yet here we find something altogether different. Joseph of Arimathea goes to the tomb. And he goes with his friend, Nicodemus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, John 19, 39. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So we wonder what happened to Nicodemus, the man who wasn't seeing properly, who was seeing black and white, and he's asking all these questions because he knows there's something more, and he's doing it in the middle of the night because he's afraid. And this man, something happens to him that's so vivid, that's so transformative, that's so life-changing, that the man who went in the cover of night now goes to pick up Jesus' body in the light of the day. And not only does he do so, he brings the kind of myrrh and the kind of aloe that would only be designated for somebody who was there to worship. This is a moment, this is a love offering to the Messiah. And even in this moment, does he understand the full implications? No. But something has happened where this man who was seeing in black and white, and, and Jesus is saying, you need to be born again. You need to get hungry for God to change you. This moment, the, the, the switch is flipped. Now, in the church today, I love the idea of process. I'm a process guy. There's processes and systems for growth. There's processes and systems for, for helping things get off the ground and run smooth and for people to grow and get healthy and get well. Processes are true. They're right. We need them. That's a part of sanctification where you can continue and steadily grow into the likeness of Jesus. But I want you to remember this, that just because there are processes to help you grow doesn't mean that there are not significant moments that completely change you on a dime. 
We need some of those, don't we? Don't we need moments where in a breath, Jesus changes you? Or you were struggling with that thing, and in a moment, it's cut off and gone. Where you didn't know Jesus, but now you, without a doubt, do. Where you were seeing life this way, and now you see it this way. Through the lens of the gospel. We need some moments to cause you to put your hand over your mouth and and bring some tears to your eyes. We need moments where we say, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was missing. How have I lived this long in 66 years and, and I haven't seen color? I didn't know it could be this way. I didn't know it could be this beautiful. I didn't know it could be this majestic. I didn't know Jesus could look and be like this. I didn't know. I'm all for process, but I'm also all for moments. And we need some moments, don't we? Jesus says that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Abundant life. I remember my, my grandmother, who's no longer with us, you know, she was of a different generation. And as a young girl, she described going to see The Wizard of Oz in a movie theater. And while it wasn't the first movie with Technicolor, for many people, it was still the first one that they were able to see in a movie house it wasn't just black and white and if you know the story of the Wizard of Oz there's, there's a moment where you know the tornado comes and the house is lifted off the ground and you know the first 15-20 minutes of the movie is all in black and white and, and, and the, the house is it lands in the land of Oz and it's still black and white, and you see Dorothy as she's, you know, she's kind of coming to, and she begins to walk to the front door, and she opens the front door, and she enters into a world that's just blossomed with color. My grandmother described this moment in the movie theater where many people had never seen color on a big screen before, and people began to stand to their feet in the middle of the movie and begin to clap out of excitement, out of simple joy of seeing this. Look at, look at this. Can you believe this? And stand to your feet. Clap your hands. This is unbelievable. Can you believe this?
The same picture we see in the book of Revelation when, when we are worshiping Jesus Christ, there's only two postures that we see. When we see him for who he truly is, it's to either stand in praise and worship or is to kneel in reverence and total submission to him. I believe Jesus would work his way in our hearts this morning. And just like the gentleman that we saw who put the glasses on, who's just overcome with emotion. I think there are people here, even in this room, who need to put their faith in Jesus in a moment, just like this. Not about your friend, it's not about your husband or your priest or your pastor. It's about you and Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. This might be a moment for you to put your faith in him today, in him alone. And he will change what looks black and white to full living. Father, we pray right now. Lord, even as we worship you this morning, we're like Nicodemus, God curious. We have questions, maybe frustrations even. Maybe we look at other people and we see them, they seem to have a different kind of relationship with you and, and it's confusing and frustrating and yet at the same time we're, we're just provoked by curiosity. We know there's more to experience. We know there's more to see. There's more ways of knowing you, God. And this morning we are hungry. you're sitting here this morning and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sin on the cross and the one who rose victorious on the third day. If you've never done that, if you've never prayed to put your faith in Jesus, raise your hand with me this morning and we're going to pray together. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray quietly. Say, Jesus, this morning, I put my faith in you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I choose to follow you as my King. In the name of Jesus.